Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Ronnie, before service, said, I feel like I'm in college with a handout. Well, last week when I, I covered 1,500 years of history, uh, the staff said on Monday, it would have been nice to have a handout. Uh, a timeline, so I've obliged to give you a uh, handout now. Um, our text uh, for this series and for today is Second Corinthians chapter four, sixteen uh, through five two. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, and you remember, you have to put yourself in the context of first century Christianity. They're calling their persecution light and momentary troubles, right? So that means more than getting a hangnail for us Western civilization, first world problems. My Wi-Fi is too slow, right? We're talking about some major problems. They call them, verse 17, light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, what? An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes, not on what we see, not on governments, not on people, not on nations. We, we, we focus our attention on what we do not see, but what is unseen. For what is seen, it's all going to go away. It's temporary. But what is unseen, that's the eternal stuff. Now we know that if we are earthly tents, we live in, are destroyed, and by that we mean uh, sent to the flames or eaten by lions or whatever. We have, been building, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Uh, Aaron, would you shut those doors in the back for me, please? Thank you. Okay. So before we jump into all this, remember that uh, in our 1,500 years, uh, last week we went from the, from the death of Christ up to the Reformation, which was 1500. We covered Wycliffe back in the 1300s, uh, who was in England and uh, had a run-in because he wanted to translate the Bible into English, which was a major problem back in the day because it needed to remain in Latin, which is called the Vulgate. And then 100 or so years later, John Huss in Germany um, 100 years, 102 years before the Reformation um, in July was burned at the stake for the very same thing. Um, Martin Luther uh, refers to us as uh, Hussites because of what happened uh, 100 years before the Reformation. Interestingly enough, I'm already down a bunny trail. Somebody asked the other day, well, we're called Protestants now. What were we called before we were called Protestants? We were actually called Lollards. Lollards, uh, but um, so what we're going to do is we're going to address this handout here in a second. Um, but we have to first of all remind ourselves that a people without knowledge of their past history, their origins, and their cultures are trees without roots. Cicero, a Greek philosopher who lived 50 years before Jesus in Rome, said, "To be ignorant of what occurred before you were born is to remain a child." 
It's, you're just always going to be in child unless you learn a little bit of history. So this is why it's important. So when those people who are in power have the ability to go back in time, rewrite history, because those in power can rewrite the past. And if you can rewrite the past, you can change the future. So it's important for us to know our family tree. That's what this whole series is about, knowing who our family members are, because a lot of time, oh, I know that, you know, I come from Germany and my Norway and Denmark and, and I know my gen, but what about when I became born again, I gave my life to Jesus. Who are my relatives in the kingdom of God? And what history does that bring to me? And what fortitude does it bring to me as I move forward and uh, eventually end up in some hot water like some of our forefathers did, right? So um, we're not going to sanitize the past. You know, we're not in the, we're not in the market of like uh, marking out the bad things that happened in Christendom because we learn from that, right? So if we sanitize our past, we, we sabotage our future. And so this is why we're going to uh, take time today uh, to continue on our family tree. And as I was researching trees and roots and all the things you do as a pastor in preparation for stuff like this, I asked, how, how much bigger is a root system of a tree than the tree itself. And it goes like this. If an oak tree, for example, has in the, and this new terminology for me, the crown of the tree, which is the breadth of the tree. So it grows up and the width of the tree, the crown of the tree, is say it's 50 feet. The root system of an oak tree is seven times the crown. So if this oak tree you're looking at is 50 feet wide, which is not unusual, the root system would be 300 and 50 feet wide. That's a, that's a lot of roots. And so we have a lot of roots. And so here we go. We're going to attack this. This, I'm going to move quickly. So I'll leave this on the platform afterwards. If those of you that are watching by television or you're online, you're listening to the podcast, Joey will have a copy of this in the office. Just text us, call us, give us your address, and we'll get this off to you, okay? Um, and we're going to rock it through this because this uh, is only by way of introduction, so what happened was last week we covered 1,500 years. Today we're going to cover 58 years. Okay, this is, this is the birth of the Reformation. So in, 18, in 1483, uh, Martin Luther was born in Eisleben, Germany. And he was baptized the very next day on November 11th of 1482. So to get some context here, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right, So 10 years after Luther was born, that's when America was discovered and the first lead pencil was invented. I threw some fun stuff in for you just to get some context, right? And also because there was no corn in Europe, corn was discovered. I mean, it had always been around, but, but uh, 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 Columbus discovered corn, brought it back to Europe, and uh, now we have high fructose corn syrup for, to, to thank for that. In 1495, Da Vinci is a contemporary of Luther. He begins to paint The Last Supper. He completed it in 97. Uh, William Tyndale, who we'll hear a little bit more about later, uh, he was born. And then in 19, 1498, the toothbrush was invented. In 1499, Katrina von Bora, which is an important name because that ends up being Martin Luther's wife. She was a nun who left the nunnery and became Luther's wife later in life. But uh, she was born in 99. In, in 1500, the world's population uh, was approximately 400 million, primarily in Europe and Asia. And of course, today, I think this month, we passed 8 billion. In November, we passed 8 billion people. 
So in 1501, here it goes, it's starting to get interesting now. Luther enters into university at Erfurt and to become a lawyer, and he gets his master's degree in 05. And the next year, uh, the first portable clock was invented in Nuremberg, Germany. Changed everything. Um, and the place of the Nuremberg trials, same town. 1503, Da Vinci begins painting the Mona Lisa. And 05, Luther is walking out at night and there's a tremendous thunderstorm. So much that lightning is striking right where he's at. He falls on his face. He prays to God, God, if you'll get me out of this thunderstorm, I'll become a priest. And God got him out of the thunderstorm that night on July 2nd. And later that month, he enters the Catholic monastery to become a monk. Uh, not... not uh, not something his family was super thrilled about because he was a very intellectual man, a very smart man. He had already become a lawyer, um, and now he's going to enter into the priesthood. So in 06, Luther takes his final vows as an Augustinian monk. This is why it's called, my wife went to a Lutheran school, which was called Augustana, which is from St. Augustine, which is the Augustinian monk order. In autumn of that year, in 07, Luther became ordained as a Catholic priest in Erfurt, and then he leads his first mass in May. In 1508, Michelangelo begins painting the Sistine Chapel, S-I-S-T-I-N-E, the Sistine Chapel in Rome. And it took him quite a while to finish it. And he is appointed now the moral philosophy lecturer at the University of Wittenberg, which is, Wittenberg is about uh, 80 miles from his home, which is Eisleben, where he was born. So uh, he is now away from home about 80 miles or so. And in 09, John Calvin is born. And now Luther gets his bachelor's in theology. And then at the bottom of that page, Henry VIII. I'm Henry VIII, I am. Anybody old enough to remember Herman's Hermits, 1965? Anyway, in uh, 10, Luther is sent to Rome on a mission from the Augustinian order. And this is where he witnesses uh, all of the indulgences. And if you're unfamiliar with what indulgences are, the Catholic Church was in need of some money and to redo uh, the uh, um, St. Peter's Cathedral. Sistine Chapel's being painted. We're running low on money. So what we'll do is we'll start selling forgiveness. Yeah. All right, so I'm not... Uh, again, I'm not glossing over this. This is part of our history. It's not real good, right? So the Pope had decided we're gonna we're gonna we can if you'll give me some money, I will forgive your sins. And it, so much so, if you plan on doing something next week, you can pay in advance, and we'll give you the ticket. We'll give you the ticket, and it'll it'll all be good. All right. So Luther went there and he saw all that in 11, and then in 12, the very next year, now he has his doctorate. All right, so here's this young lawyer who got his master's degree, went back to school, began his theological degree, then went, went all the way through. Now he has his doctorate after he saw all that stuff, and he's beginning to draw some lines. He's beginning to, the picture's becoming clear to him, and he has the education to do so. And then in 13, Pope Leo, who was the Pope at the time, Pope Leo the X, the 10th, Leo the 10th is synonymous with Luther's uh, problems back in the day. He takes office in March of that year. Now, John Knox is born in Scotland, and he's the founder of the Presbyterian Church. We're not going to unpack him, but that's an interesting date to know and what happened in Scotland. I've been in John Knox's house. It's very cool. It's in Scotland. 1515, Luther now begins, oh, he's going to lecture on Romans. 
So now he's getting the law and he's getting all this stuff in him. Erasmus publishes the first Greek New Testament in 16 and Luther now, he jumps from Romans to Galatians in his lecture series in 16. So now he comes to a point in 17, Pope Leo needs more money and he declares indulgences for rebuilding St. Peter's. This is where Luther said, you know what? We should really talk about this. Now you gotta understand, Luther didn't start out to be a Protestant. He didn't start out to be a troublemaker. He didn't start out to tear down the Catholic Church. He didn't start out to start another whole Christian uh, sect, if you will. He said, we really should talk about these things, right? He's a, he's a highly esteemed lecturer. He's a PhD. He's, he's, he's teaching people. He has the chairmanship of the, of the university. And so, anybody remember the early days of the internet where you would log on to a bulletin board? Remember those things? Or they were, they were the, they, they came after, they were the successor of what was originally, for those of us who are a little older than millennials, there actually was a thing called a bulletin board. It was made of cork, and you put a thumbtack in it, and you held things there. Well, back in the day, let's rewind, let's rewind the clock even further, the communal uh, hodgepodge of the community was the church. The church door is where you put things, your announcements, and so Luther had 95 things he wanted to talk about. They were thesis, if you will. Like if you, when you write a paper, you have a thesis. Here's the idea. And so he had 95 things that he wanted to talk about. And so he nails them to the door of this church uh, in Wittenberg. Wittenberg Castle Church. There's a castle there in Wittenberg as well. Um, and so uh, he nails these there. And what's so interesting is this, this was, uh, the date of, of nailing those was 1517. It happened to be on October 31st, All Saints Day. Just a few decades before, a man in the same country by the name of Gutenberg invented a machine called the Gutenberg Press. It was movable type where you could take metal letters, turn them upside down, invert them, put them all in a row, <coughs> ink them, put paper on it, squeeze it tight, and come out with a piece of paper that had the words on it. This very first printing press of the day was invented. Just so happens that they tore this 95 theses down, started making copies of it, and it disseminated everywhere, and eventually it got back to Rome. That was a problem. All right, so Luther nails the 95 Thesis to the castle door at Wittenberg on October 31st uh, due to the Gutenberg Press, the movable type press being invented in 1450, or some say 55. All right, so now a year later, just in the spring, the news of Luther's, Luther's theses reached Rome, and the Pope is, underline, not happy. Uh, Luther appears before a cardinal in Augsburg later that year. Luther refuses to recant, so he appeals to the general council. And at the same time, forks were first used at a banquet in Vienna. <laughs> So Da Vinci dies a few months later. Zwingli, another theologian, um, begins preaching on the New Testament. And now in 20, Pope Leo has had enough of Luther and he issues what's called a papal bull, B-U-L-L, just like the animal. And it is a document giving Luther 60 days to recant or he's going to be excommunicated. Luther says, oh Yeah. Luther then burns Leo's papal bull in December of that year. Now let me, just, let me just take a hiatus here for a second and tell you the power of excommunication. In the Catholic Church, there are seven ordinances. In the Protestant Church, there's only two ordinances. 
uh, water baptism and communion. Times and places that we collectively believe the spirit of God is there in a very special way. The Catholic Church has five additional. And so that was a bone of contention back in the day. But in Catholicism, you receive grace, not preveniently, that goes in front of you and is everywhere and is available to all of us who believe. Grace is, uh, is only dispensed by the priesthood. You don't, you don't get to get grace in, in Catholic theology. And if there are Catholics watching today, I don't, have, I don't have a bone to pick with Catholics, right? So I'm just telling you history. We gotta know our history, the good and the bad. So this is just part of the history lesson of today. And so um, you, you only in, in Catholic theology, and they say, well, that's not what, yeah, do your homework and look at Catholic theology, not what you've been led to believe because someone told you that someone told you that someone told you. So you study it, and, and, and in Catholicism, you only receive grace by the priest when he enunciates that over your life, whether it's your last rites when you're dying, at baptism, and so on and so forth. So if you get excommunicated, you don't get to commune with us anymore. What we're doing then is we're saying, you're apostate, you've left the faith, you are a reprobate, you are a heretic, you're going to go to hell because you can no longer receive grace because you can't commune with us. We're going to excommunicate you. That was the threat to Luther. He goes, wait a second, I just wanted to talk. Right? The Catholic monk, done his time, had his PhD, but uh, there were other forces at work. So Luther saw the handwriting on the wall in 1520 and, and he went outside the gate at Wittenberg. Tradition has it by a big oak tree, which I've stood next to, and uh, he burned the paper, papal bull. And he also, by the way, uh, incidentally, he also burned all of, the, all of the rules, the extra rules that the Catholic Church had together and still have to, uh, today in a book. I forget the name. Um, 1521, Luther is excommunicated by Leo on January 3rd. So now we're just a few months later. And then they call him to appear before the Diet of Worms, W-O-R-M-S, just like the little squiggly, squiggly thing. It's pronounced Worms if you're German, and it's the name of a town. And it's a council, a diet, not what you eat. It's a diet is, 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 is a gathering of people at, at Worms because uh, they need to talk with him. And there he refuses to recant in April of that year. And then Pope Leo declares Luther to be unrepented, a heretic whose teaching caused irrepar irreparable harm to the church. And then has Charles V, the Roman emperor, the king of Spain, that's another story for another time, issues an edict of worms that declares Luther to be a public outlaw, a criminal, making it illegal to have Luther's books. And on May 25th, uh, and that happened on May 25th. So the way that it rolls like this in Christendom, historically, all the way back to Jesus is, the religious people have their say, Jesus is guilty, then he got turned over to who? The Romans. Right? So here's, here the religious people say of Luther, you're a heretic, uh, but we're not going to soil our hands and then let Charles V issue the Edict of Worms, which calls him a criminal and so on and so forth. But now, Luther has a good, good friend, and we thank the Lord for his friend. His name is Frederick the Wise, and he hides Luther at the Wittenberg Castle for 11 months. And while he is hidden away in this castle, he actually translates the entire New Testament in 11 months. That's from Greek into German. And then in 22, he comes out of the castle of Wittenberg, and Luther's translation of the New Testament gets published, and it gets published, and it gets published, and it gets published. Why? Because we've got the Gutenberg printing press now. 
Remember back in the 1300s, Wycliffe started translating it into English? Why don't we have a copy of that? Because it's all done by hand. There was no Gutenberg press back in the 1300s. If you want to get a copy of, Witten, of, of Wycliffe's translation of the Bible, you can't. Well, you can get it printed something, you know, in the 1500s, 1600s, but you can't get any of the original documents because everything back then was done by hand. But now Luther comes along, bam, smashes out in 11 months, in the castle, comes out, ta-da, Gutenberg goes, oh, thank you very much. Print, 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 print. Now all these normal people can read the Bible. We get to see behind the curtain. We get to understand, wait a second, they were saying it meant this, and now they're saying it meant this. I'll just give you, I'll just give you just a quickie, a real quickie. All the, one of the reasons that Wycliffe got burned at the stake uh, was, well, he, remember he died. By the way, remember, refresher, he died preaching, and then, on, then they dug his, they buried him, then they dug his body up, they were so mad, and they burned him. Remember that? They dug his dead body up to burn it with all his books. Anyway, um, where was I going with that? Oh, uh, wait a second, what was I going to tell you? Oh, oh, no, 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 you, you, you don't know, Hannah, you do not know, you do not know. You were acting like you knew what I was going to say, but you have no idea what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell you this, hey, 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 I'm going to tell you the story right now, just relax. Wycliffe got in trouble because when he translated from, from the Latin Vulgate into English, this is so off topic, but it's interesting, because, you know, Another word we use for love, like in the love chapter, is charity. If you go all the way back, you can translate love as charity. Well, the, heaven forbid that you would use the word love because the Catholic Church in those days, 1300, loved using, loved, liked using the word charity because charity meant that they could monopolize what charity meant. You're going to give charity, you're going to, and charity meant things that you did good things for, you know, and so there's a manipulation of the word charity to where when Wycliffe translated it to love, they go, oh, no, 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 we can't have that. We can't have you outing us as to how we manipulate. So when Luther, the subtext is, so when Luther began to translate from Greek, from Latin into German, all of the commoners, us common folk, began to go, wait a second, that's not exactly how that reads. Right? It's, it's historical. In fact, I'm already writing next week's sermon, right? Because we've got Thanksgiving, I've been working on that. Do you know that right now, the CCP, the, 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 the communist Chinese people, you know they're writing their own Bible right now. They have their own translation of the Bible. That when Jesus caught, when the, when the woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus, and then everyone left, they tag it with, and then Jesus stoned her to death because he had sin too. Hand to heaven. Look it up. Just, just, just Google some of this stuff. It's the CCP's version of the Bible that they're mass producing. Right. This is why it's important for us to know what the Bible really says, right? Okay. Well, that was fun. Okay, 1544, Luther's, uh, a, a Lutheran church is built. Wait, what? Am I there? 1523. 1523, will you have to catch up? Katrina arrives in uh, Wittenberg, July 1st. Two Augustinian monks are burned at the stake in Brussels for being Lutherans. So here we are just a couple years after the, the beginning of the Reformation in 17 and um, the Edict uh, of Worms and already we're beginning to kill Lutherans at this point. 24, uh, Martin Luther pr uh, produces the first Protestant hymnal a book that only had eight hymns in it. In 1525, Luther marries Katrina. 
Luther's German Mass is now used on Christmas Day. And here he is. There he is. William Tyndale visits Luther. Ah, they're in cahoots now. We're going to learn about Tyndale here in a minute. He was influenced, inspired by Luther's German translation, Tyndale's English translation. Now he's coming after Wycliffe some 200 years later, right? Tyndale's English translation of the New Testament is then printed, and now 8,000 copies have been smuggled into England. 18,000 copies. Why? Because we have the Gutenberg Press. So uh, Luther ordains, uh, first Lutheran ordination happens at the castle at Wittenberg, the church of Wittenberg. 29, Luther publishes his catechism. And 30, uh, Halley's Comet is seen and is named for another uh, 100 years or so by Edmund Halley. In 1534, uh, Hans Luft publishes the first edition of Luther's complete German Bible, 1574, and he distributed over 100,000 copies of Luther's Bible, 1534, okay? In 36, Calvin publishes the first edition of his book, Tyndale is Burned at the Stake, Norway becomes Lutheran, in 40, Wittenberg holds the first celebration the anniversary of Gutenberg Press. I wonder why. <laughs> That's important to them. Spanish explorer in 41, DeSoto reaches the Mississippi River. 44, First Lutheran Church. Sweden declares Lutheranism their state religion. 46, Luther preaches his last sermon on St. Valentine's Day. On February 14th, 1546, Luther dies in Eisleben, Germany. He's buried at the castle church there in Wittenberg. And then the Pope, the Catholic Church, holds the Council of Trent and adds seven more books to the Bible called the Apocrypha. That's the end of your, that's the end of your timeline. Let me just give you a little bit of background information there. <clears throat> This is why back in the day when we actually had brick and mortar Christian stores, right? And we don't have a Christian store in town anymore, but back in the day, back, back in the day you would go to a store and you could buy a Bible. Well, anyway, there's a Catholic, there's Catholic Christian bookstores and there's product, did you know this? Yeah, the Catholics, Catholic bookstore. I think it still is downtown somewhere, I think, right? And so a Catholic Bible is not a Protestant Bible. The Catholic Bible is different than the Protestant Bible. Catholic Bible has seven additional books in the Catholic Bible. Why? Because in 1546, the Catholic Church held a council called the Council of Trent in Trent, and they said, you know what? We're going to add seven additional books to the canon. Canon is the word that means uh, the ruler. Canon means ruler, like a yardstick. It's how, it's, it, it, I, the, the, it's how we measure our lives, by the canon of scripture, right? That's the word. Like the camera canon means it's the best. It's how you measure all other cameras. Okay, now you understand. So, so follow, follow the timeline. Here I am. I'm Luther. I translate the Bible. It's all done. I die. Catholic Church says, oh, wait a second. Now that he's dead, we're going to add seven more books that's not going to get translated by Luther. So you're going to need to know, you're gonna, hey, Catholics, you're going to need to stay with us because we got some stuff they don't got. You understand why the Council of Trent is so important and how these Catholic, how the, in the 1500s, how these extra books got added to the Bible. Okay, no, that's not Pope Leo. I don't know. 
I don't know. I can't, I can't say definitively. Okay, so I got some quotes there for you. They're really great. Uh, the one that fill in the blank next to last, they gave our master a crown of thorns because we've talked a lot about uh, martyrs last week. They, uh, they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? That's Luther's quote. And, I, and, and there's one more. I'm afraid that the school system will prove to be the very gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures and engraving them in the hearts of our youth. Uh-huh. So the five solas, S-O-L-A-S, it's a Latin word, are the uh, tenets of the Protestant Reformation, which stand for Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, all to the glory of God alone. That's your handout. All right? So if you missed any of that, I'll have that up here. And you can uh, regale yourselves of the answers in a bit afterwards. All right? So Reformation started when? October 31st, 1517. Luther was 34 years old. Um, he, he, he wanted to reform the church. He didn't want to beat it up. He just wanted some answers and uh, you ever been in an argument with someone, they don't want to talk, they just smack you? That's kind of what happened. They said, we're not going to talk about that, sit down and be quiet. And he says, I don't want to sit down and be quiet. And so at a church that he pastored in Wittenberg, there's the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. It looks just like that. I've been there, and I have a little arrow that I drew that points to the door. There it is. That's the door that those... 95 feet, that's not the original door. That's since been replaced. That's a metal door because people continue to want to nail things to it. Uh, so that's a metal door that has, interestingly enough, the 95 thesis written in bronze. Those doors are, have the 95 thesis on there. Um, and there was, a lot of, there was a lot of things that, that Luther wanted to talk about, 95 of them. Uh, from the way communion was served uh, and, and indulgences in particular. He had a major problem with uh, um, the selling of indulgences. There was a man, uh, you know every rapper has a hype man, right? The guy out front saying, you know, whatever. I don't know how that all goes. But, but you know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about, right? They got the hype man out front. Well, the Pope had a hype man. His name was, his name was Tetzel. And Tetzel uh, was in charge of selling indulgences and collecting money. And he had a little phrase, he had a little phrase as he tapped the box that says this, as soon as a coin into the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So you're playing on the hearts and minds of peasants who can't read Latin or Greek or anything, and your grandma just died, your dad just died, your uncle just died. For every, every coin into the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs, right? So who isn't going to give money to get their mom and dad out of purgatory, right? And so he had problems with purgatory. And in fact, that one, which I just recited to you, is actually found in thesis number 28. So if you ever get a copy of them and have them translated, and I would encourage you to do that. Just go home and Google 95, so you can read them. I actually have a full-size poster of them downstairs in my office. Um, and so 
artists over the year have drawn a, drawn a picture. Here's young Luther, 34 years old, something like that. You've seen that. That's him nailing the 95 Theses to the wall, uh, to the door rather. And it gets back to Pope Leo. Pope Leo says, let's talk at the Diet of Worms on April 18th, 1521. Let's recant. Here's the Diet of Worms. There's Luther in the lower left-hand corner. He's standing in front of all those people. I think I have it. Do I have another photo of the Diet of Worms too? I don't know that I do. No, that's kind of back up. That's okay. That's the only one I got. All right. So I have a lot of pictures to show you today. So there's Luther standing uh, in, a, in an artist's rendition of the Diet of Worms. And tradition, now I don't want King Henry yet. We're not anywhere near King Henry. All right, we're going to get to King Henry in a second. But we're still at the Diet of Worms. King Henry is not at the Diet of Worms. All right, so we have the Pope, Pope Leo. So we have, we have the Diet of Worms. Tradition, and, and I'm telling you tradition. I'm not telling you I know for sure. Tradition says, because Luther was a prolific hymn writer, the last song we sang today, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, was written by Luther, and it is said that he was singing that song as he entered into the Diet of Worms that day. That word, meaning Jesus, above all earthly powers, who's he referring to? No thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. Let it all go. Let everything you own, all your kids, all your family, good and kindreds go. This mortal life also, kill me, because I saw what you did to us. I saw what you did to Wycliffe. This is the history he has. And he's, he's, he's walking in saying, you want some of this? Leo, you want some of this? You really want to do this? Let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. So... They brought him in and they had all of his books, all of his writings. They said, you've got to recant, you've got to recant. He said, let me think about that. I said, what are you talking about? Went home, not went home, they, they had him there in Worms. Came back the next morning and he gave a speech. It's a very, it's a very long speech. I'm, I'm only going to give you the, the, the last paragraph of his speech. And he said this. And it actually is the quote that you have on page four of your uh, handout. Since our most sincere majesty and your uh, uh, highnesses require me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one. And it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the council because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistency with themselves. If, then, I am convinced by proof of Holy Scripture or by cogent reason, if I'm not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his own conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Those were his final words. Can you imagine the hush? In the, in, or maybe it wasn't a hush. Maybe they just started yelling and screaming. Are you crazy? You're nuts. You know, so, oh, yeah, quiet, quiet, quiet down. Okay, we got to decide what we're going to do. We're going to decide what we're going to do. Luther says, okay, you decide what you're going to do. So he says, I'm going. I'll come back. 
and uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna figure this thing out. So watch the timeline. So Luther leaves the Diet of Worms. He's gonna come back in five days to hear. It's gonna take him five days to figure out what they want to do with him. Right. So over the next five days, private conferences were held to determine Luther's fate. So the emperor presented the final draft of the Edict of Worms on 25 of May, 1521, declaring that Luther was an outlaw, banning his literature and requiring his arrest. Quote, we want him to be apprehended and punished as a notorious heretic. It is also made a crime for anyone to give anyone in Germany to give food or shelter to him. It permitted permitted anyone to kill Luther without legal consequences. That's what they decided. But what happened to Luther? Remember his friend, Frederick the Wise? As Luther was going home, Frederick the Wise, air quotes, kidnapped Luther and said, listen, you go back there, they're going to kill you. And that's exactly what the Edict of Worms said. Remember, the Catholic Church excommunicated him, then uh, 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 the... Um, uh, what's his name? The fifth. Yeah. Uh, said, okay, he is now a outlaw and you can, you can kill him if you want. It's not going to be held against you. But Luther had been kidnapped and now he's hiding out in a castle in uh, Wittenberg. Uh, where next, in the same town where he used to uh, pastor at the church. But there's a big castle up there, uh, Wartburg. Changed his name to Junker, U-N- K-E-R, George. Grew a beard, grew a mustache. He's in hideout for 11 months. What's he doing? Remember, what's he doing for those 11 months? Translating, 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 translating. Been in that castle, been in that room. Saw his desk, his chair. It's a real place, and it really happened. Now, this is Germany. Dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, in England... Who do we have? Henry VIII. This dude was brutal. <laughs> Had six wives, killed two of them. He didn't like them. One of them couldn't have children, killed her. Cut her head off. Well, he put her under the guillotine. Guillotine wasn't invented until like 1780. This is way before that. This is back in the 1500s. 200, imagine that, the guillotine had not been invented. So he just cuts her head off. Brutal, brutal man. Catholic to the core. So he did not like Luther. He rejected Luther's theology, justification by faith alone, he even wrote against it in 1521. Henry VIII, because he was pro-Catholic, didn't like Luther, that meant we didn't, want to we didn't want commoners to know the language, didn't want commoners to know the Bible because that gave me a power, position of power over you. Discovered seven families that were teaching their children the Lord's Prayer in English. Burned them all. Round enough, just burned them all. What are you doing teaching your children to speak the Bible in English? Burned them, just burned them alive. So, Tyndale. Let's talk about Tyndale for a second. Here is a man that uh, um, was the father of the English Bible, and Henry didn't like him, and so he was arrested. 
Tyndale was translating. This is the picture out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. That is William Tyndale at the stake. You can see a chain around his middle. You can see a noose around his neck. You can see the, the bundles of uh, wood around his feet. This is how it was recorded. The charges against Tyndale. Here they are. He maintained that faith alone justifies. That God's mercy and grace offered in the gospel is enough. Tyndale denied that there was a purgatory. And he said, as much as, we, as much as we think the Virgin Mary is awesome and the saints are awesome, they actually don't pray for us. And that was enough to get him burned alive. So here's how it goes. In the town square, the, the, the crowd gathered. The dignitaries assembled in due pomp and array and took their seats in a high platform. Tyndale was led out wearing a priest's robe. The first thing they did was they had him kneel down and they took a knife and they scraped his palms raw to signify the removal of the anointing oil that had been placed upon him at his ordination as a symbol of having lost the benefits of the anointing oil. Then they brought to him the bread and the wine, the mass. They were placed in his hands and immediately they kicked him out of his hands to signify he had no more grace. Stripped of his priestly vestments, he was then reclothed in layman's clothes. So he was stripped, priest vestments, reclothed in layman's clothes. Then what happened? Then the Pope handed him over to Henry VIII, right? We've done the ceremony. We've called him the heretic. He's no good. Now, we're going to wash our hands of him. You do whatever you want with him, Henry, because we're not going to have the blood of Tyndale on our hands. It's actually going to be on you. Church always condemned and left the secular officers to their business. So, October 6, 1536, Tyndale, at the age of 42, was led out of the castle to the southern gate. The sun had barely risen above the horizon when he arrived to the open space and looked over the crowd of onlookers eagerly jostling for a good view. A circle of stakes enclosed the place of the execution. At the center was a large pillar of wood in the form of a cross as tall as a man. A strong chain hung from the top and a noose of hemp was threaded through a hole in the upright. After his humiliation, Tyndale was given final, a final chance to recant. So after we've done all this to you, here's one last chance. He stood immovable, his eyes fixed on the common people. A silence fell over the crowd as they watched his lips moved with final impassioned prayer that echoed around the place of execution. He said, quote, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. His feet were bound to the stake, the iron chain fastened around his neck, and the noose was placed on his throat. Piles of brushwood and logs were heaped around him. The executioner came up behind the stake and with all of his force snapped the neck of Tyndale before he burned. The attorney then stepped forward, placed a lighted torch of tinder and the great man and the commoner sat back and watched the fire burn. The body now fully charred hung limply on the chain and after that, the officer broke the staple in the chain that hit with his halbert, and Tyndall's body fell into the glowing heat of the fire. Fox's Book of Martyrs then says, more brushwood was then piled upon Tyndale. The commoners marveled at the patient suffering of Master Tyndale at the time of his execution. That's history. That's what happened to a guy who taught people to pray in English. 
Well, surely when Henry VIII, when Henry VIII was done, things had to get better in England. No, he had a daughter, and his daughter's name was Mary, and her was Mary the First. There she is. Isn't she a pleasant-looking person? All hell was about to break loose on the Protestants in England of the day. She was a devout Catholic like her father, and she only served for five years. She's best known for her attempt to reverse the effects of the Reformation in England. Um, they later called her, uh, I'm, I'm going to skip over some things here for the sake of time. She, she, have you ever heard of, of the term, I'm not talking about the drink, I'm talking about the term Bloody Mary. That's her. That's the same Bloody Mary. Mary Tudor, the house of Tudor in England. She was the daughter of Henry VIII, and she's called Bloody Mary because during the, the end of her, she served, five, she served five years. The end of her, the, the last three years is really, she really went crazy. She killed 300, 300 people. Mary I. She had four children, but they were all stillborn. She said it was God's punishment upon her for not eradicating the Protestants out of England. This is why with such veracity, she decided to eradicate all Protestants from England. She believed it was God's punishment for having no children. So Fox's Book of Martyrs, speaking of her, says... For her, three, for her final three years, Protestant, quote, Protestant bodies dangled from giblets and heretics were relentlessly executed, burned at the stake and hung. Well, I have to be honest with you. I don't know what a giblet is. So I have a photograph of what a giblet is. There they are hanging. A giblet is like a band that holds you all together. So they're like a band around your chest, a band around your waist, a band around your thighs, a band around your legs, a band around your arms, a band around your throat, and then like this thing, it's like a helmet, but it's all metal. So you can clearly see who's in there, right? So they put you in there, then they kill you in there, and then they hang you, and then you be in this, even after you're dead, right? your body is decomposing, and the birds come and eat your flesh, until there's nothing but bone left. And so your, your skeleton is still hanging upright inside this metal carsophagus that you're in, this metal coffin that you're in, being hung by a chain like that. That's how she would kill you. 300 Protestants burned at the stake. That's why she was known as Bloody Mary. History is not a burden on the memory, but an illumination of the soul. Lord Acton said that. Lord Acton was killed because he was a Protestant. In the Book of Martyrs, Lord Acton. That's the page out of the Book of Martyrs that you and I happen to own. Original copy. These are, the real, these are the real events. This is not something made up. It's not a movie. These are your brothers. These are your sisters. Faithful they were. Undeterred, strengthened as Bloody Mary for three years from, from 1555 to 1558. Cleansed, religiously cleansed Europe. And this is what I want us to remember. We are in more danger when we are comfortable than when we are persecuted. Well, I gotta get away from that. Listen, 
You need to come to a place and in preparation for next week, why don't you take just 20 minutes instead of watching a rerun of Friends and just Google underground church in China. Just Google that. Underground, I mean, stop watching cat videos just for about 10 minutes. I know, they're so interesting. And Google underground church in China and you will see some of the rarest footage you've ever seen in your life. Oh, there's churches. I think there's, I think there's, yes, there's four churches in North Korea. There's four, I'm way ahead of myself because I've been writing this for next week already. There's four churches in North Korea, a Protestant church, two Catholic, no, a Catholic church, two Protestant churches, and an Orthodox church. But it's against the law to be a Christian, so none, none, no one in North Korea can go to them. Then why do they have those churches in North Korea? And so the people that come from, for tourism, come, can put their money in the coffers there and, and fund North Korea. Wow. Because they're North Korean churches. It's all a show. Right? But you look in history and you look about how the church grew, especially in China, we'll talk about next week, especially in China under persecution. Persecution, when it gets hard, there's some, there, in, in the heart of a true Christian, there's something that gets fortified, not like, like, like come on, I'm going to pull out my AK, I'm going to kill y'all. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about governmental oppression. I'm talking about when, when someone says, deny Christ, deny Christ. You know, I can't do that. Watch the, I was, I was going to, I was going to have you watch a movie, um, on the life of Richard Wormbrand, uh, next week. And I had my wife watch it. She said it's too graphic for, to show on Sunday morning on thank You're going to show that on Thanksgiving Sunday. I can't believe you're going to throw that movie on Thanksgiving Sunday. I said, well, the people need to know. She says, well, they need to be loved too. I said, I do love them. That's why I want to show them. It's the life of Richard Wormbrand. He is the founder of the voice of the martyr. He just recently died uh, in the year 2001, I think, but he was held captive, right? It beat his feet for three years in a dark hole in Romania. He was a Lutheran pastor. He was held captive for 14 years, three of which he lived in a hole in the ground, never saw another person, didn't see the sunshine for three years of his life. And every day they put his feet over the end of a bed and just beat it till, he, till the bone showed. But every night he would kneel and pray for his captors, Right? I'll tell you what I am going to show you next week. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, the, the uh, 21 Coptic Christians that were beheaded on the beach in Libya. Remember this? They were in their jump, orange jumpsuits a few years ago. And then they cocked their heads back, put their fingers in their eyes, cocked their head back and slit their throat. I could show you all that video, but there's no need. What I want to show you is immediately they went to the widows of those of those uh, men that were martyred. And they said, what do you think? And they said, oh, we forgive them said, I'm honored to be the husband of a martyr. My child will be blessed to be able to say that his father died for the cause of Christ. What? That's what I'm talking about. That's the, the internal metal that should arise in us with this light and momentary affliction. Listen, I'm not painting a dark picture. Oh, America's, I, I don't, honestly, and this is, this is probably anti-patriotic, but I'm as patriotic as the next guy. But you know, 
There's coming a day that when you say you're an American will mean you're not a Christian. Well, America's a Christian country. Whenever, whenever God has anointed and, and lifted a country, because God is at the center of that country, that, that country thrives and prospers. But when, but when a country turns from God, when the nation of Israel turned from God and they went to their own ways and they lifted up their own idols, God's hand got lifted. Right? Right? Well, America's God's chosen land. How about you begin to think that perhaps America is Babylon? Well, listen, I I don't deny our historical roots. I'm all about history. I love the history. But listen, you've got to understand the day in which you live, the times in which you live. The Bible's being rewritten in China. Um, There is is persecution coming to the Christian church that it's going to be horrible, but it will also strengthen us. It will winnow out the looky-loos. And it's just, well, it's just too tough to get to church. It's cold. Google underground church in China. 30 feet below ground, an underground seminary that trains students. The instructors only see the light of day like six days a week, six days a year they come out of the hole in the ground. What? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's hip to be a Christian. Well, it, I don't have time. It's 11.28, and I was about to ready to jump into something, very deep hole, that we would take 20 minutes to get out of. If, if the world embraces you as cool, you better be careful. You better be careful. I'm talking, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Well, well, I'm going to shave the truth there, and yeah, you know, so I can continue to get my tax giving. I'll tell you one thing, when, when, not if, but when the church loses its tax-exempt status, and it eventually will, maybe during my lifetime, should the Lord tarry, um, when it does, people that give to the charitable causes of the church because we are not-for-profit, tax-exempt corporation, which is a 501c3 corporately, so that you can get an annual statement at the end of the year that says you gave X number of dollars to the church so that you can reduce it from your taxes, it might not not be a bad thing to find out who really tithes because they love God and who does because they get a tax credit for it. See, now I'm just way, way meddling in your business. But this is the truth that we have to have, right? So, I finish with scripture. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Rejoice. This is what these widows in Libya did when the microphone was stuck in their face. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if we have this earthly tent we live in, it's destroyed, destroyed, destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Would you stand with me, please?
Heavenly Father, we stand here in this place, a free people, able to worship you, able to lift our voices, to shout and to sing, to give you thanks because of this country we live in. Lord, help us to be determined, first of all, to remember those who have gone before, to remember our history, who paid the ultimate price that we could stand here today like this. Help us to remember our brothers and sisters, even now in foreign lands being persecuted, whose churches are being burned, whose houses are being torched, whose children are being raped because they're Christians. Help us to have a good attitude, Lord, about whatever light and momentary affliction we may have and give us strength. And above all, may your spirit live within us so that we could tell the world about the peace that there is in a life that has been ridded of the stain of sin. Lord, you've washed us clean because of your blood. Thank you for the cross. Lord, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that the Catholic Church kept the word of God alive for all those years. I still am. And I'm thankful for Luther and Zwingli and Calvin for John Knox, for all those people, Lord, that paid the ultimate price, we now stand on their shoulders. May we not forget, above all, the price that you paid so that we could have joy and peace and forgiveness. And if you've never experienced that in your life, you've never totally given your life to Jesus, you say, oh, I was baptized or I was confirmed, that's great. But have you ever really opened the door of your heart and said, come on in? Whatever you want to do in my life, Lord, I will do it. I'll, I'll follow your lead. You're going to be the boss from now on. That's called getting saved, giving your life to Jesus, being born again. It's when you say, I'm no longer the boss. I'll follow his word. I'll follow his ways, wherever it may lead. If that's your desire, or maybe you've done it before, you just want to reaffirm that commitment today. We do that. You just say, yes, Lord. Maybe you want to raise your hand with me this morning. Here I am, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I will fail. I know I'll mess it up. I know I'll screw it up. I know I won't do it right. But your grace is going to be there for me. You're going to help me. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to love you. I'm going to honor your word. And I will stand up. I will stand up for you. A mighty fortress, a mighty fortress is our God. And now may the peace of God that passes understanding, the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the patience of the Holy Spirit, the power above all powers be with you. May he lead you and guide you this week, help you make good decisions, help you to stand up, to be strong, to speak the word in truth, to be unafraid, unafraid, to put the word of Jesus on your lips. May you go in peace. May you go in power. May you go in humility, knowing that you are not your own. You've now been bought with a price. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. 
You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.